0: You are, you are now tuned in, in, to, in the to the December 26er podcast, podcast, where we, where encourage, we encourage you, you to, be to be extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, back again with our producer. Demarcus Adisa. What's up? Uh,
1: Hey, what's going on? Can't stop, won't stop. Bad boy, baby.
0: Starting (laughs) early. You're starting early. So we usually don't do these sort of duo episodes so close together. Um, But I wanted to do another one, which actually started in my mind as a solo episode. But I decided to ask Demarcus if he wanted to step in front of the mic again, mainly because having another person when we record these episodes just makes it so much more enjoyable for me. I'm not going to lie. I like the conversational element. And even if it's not an interview, just having somebody to play off of, um, it helps out a lot as opposed to just sitting here with no natural segues or transitions. You got to figure it out on your own. So that's the the main reason. There are a couple more reasons why I wanted to do this episode right now. First and foremost, episode 30, Tyrone Ross Jr. Amazing. Amazing, amazing interview. We are working on getting him back uh, in the studio. But that episode... Is, I don't want to say it's trending because that has a, a certain connotation in the world that we live in. But let's just put it this way. The listens are still going up by the hour. So because the episode is so powerful and is still making waves, I didn't want to dilute it with like idle chatter with someone else or an interview that would not necessarily be as strong, um, especially because we are anticipating a part two very, very soon. So be on the lookout for that. So I thought, you know what, maybe it's time to just take another pause, even though we We just took one, even though that was a a forced pause. That wasn't our choice when we were in the UK. Um, So I talked to DeMarcus about it and was like, you know, what should we do? And he said, you should do a check-in. Like, do like uh, an—we're getting to the end of the year. Just kind of, you know, talk about some stuff, um, what have you. So like I already said, I don't really like— I shouldn't say I don't like them. I like the solo episodes. They're just more work. But let me say this I have noticed in the statistics that the solo episodes and the episodes with you, bro, DeMarcus, actually outpace the others, believe it or not. I don't really know why that is. You said it's because you're a star. I'm a
1: star, baby. (laughs) Plus, me and Alicia go together like Renee and Angela, you know.
0: (laughs) I'll be good. So, yeah, it just works. I, 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 you know, some may say, well, of course, your solo episodes are out you know, pacing the others because they've been around longer. I don't think it's that like I honestly don't because just the speed at which or the rate at which the listens increase is just far greater um, with those. So I love the interviews. I actually love bringing people's stories out to the world. I'm not quite sure why this is happening, but you know what? You got to give people what they want.
1: Consistency is key.
0: Yes. Consistency is key. So considering where we are in the year, considering what the statistics look like um, and considering that Powerful episode that we dropped last week, it just made sense to do this right now. Now, at this point, Tyrone is his episodes outpacing everybody, um, which is a great thing. It's it's really moving into some circles I could not even have anticipated. It's doing what I expected, actually, another episode to do, right? Which is just crazy. Things just you know never turn out the way you think you are. You know you think they will, but um, it's all for the good. All working to. How for ironic the good.
1: is the uh, it that these self-described three-time Olympic failures outpacing everyone?
0: I mean, really, that'll preach right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: so here's what I decided to do for this episode. Instead of just making it like a check in, one of the things that I hear often with people who start to listen to the interviews and maybe don't check the first episodes first or even with guests who come on the podcast but didn't do their research and listen to uh, the first few, they always say, like, we want to hear more of you, what you have to say, you know, and I love other people's stories. So I love asking the questions and kind of progressing the conversation conversation but people often want to hear my perspective I guess which is humbling um so I put the bird call out and to a few people and said hey if there are questions that you want me to address on the podcast send them uh and you know I'll try to give my take on on a few things if you have curiosity around my own personal story my own personal belief system how I live my life opinions anything um Send it on over. So, shout out to my homies who responded uh, with those questions, in particular the Aiden sisters. Love those girls so much. We go way back. So, they are loyal, loyal listeners of the podcast. So thank you guys for coming through in the clutch and sending these questions over. I have turned them over to our producer and DeMarcus is sort of taking the reins here and we'll figure out which ones we're going to answer and in what order. I'm going to be a little bit surprised. I like to prepare. I'm a lawyer. That's what we do, but it's okay. We're just going to roll with it. So are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's I was go. i ready. we yeah, out here rolling. So let's start off with the first question. Uh, you know, you're a lawyer by trade. I think I know the answer to this question, but... Um... <laughs> The listeners probably want to know, when did you know law was your
0: calling? OK, so I don't think I've answered this on the podcast, but I know I have answered this question in other circles or in other forms of media. I grew up in the the Cosby Show era. Uh, say you what you want about bill cosby's tarnished reputation but at the time late 80s early 90s they were like it they were the representation of a standard of excellence i think in black television and so i i grew up at a time when claire huxtable was like the perfect balance of you know mom of a bunch of kids but also this powerful attorney so i think that's like when the the seed might have been um First planted that I can remember, but if you talk to my mother, she says, or our mother, she says that at some point when I was super little, I think it was, I I don't know if I had seen the Cosby show or not, but I said I was going to, there were two things I was going to do. I was going to be a lawyer and I was going to play Carnegie Hall. To this day, we don't even know how I knew what Carnegie Hall is, was yeah, at the time.
1: That is, I don't know. <laughs> he pulled that out of no- nowhere.
0: Completely out of nowhere. So I think, you know, it's just might have just been in me as something, you know, from the time I was really little that I knew I wanted to do. But I'm I'm sure those images of Claire Huxtable on TV had a lot to do with it. And as I, as I got older, I think I just remained committed to it because I like this idea of examining all sides of an issue, which you right. have to do as a lawyer, anticipating somebody's counter argument, whether you're a litigator or a trans Transactional attorney, you always have to anticipate the other side. Um, and for the record, I just like negotiating. You know, I, I like coming up with creative solutions to things, and sometimes flexing. You know, throwing my muscle around a little bit to yeah. get people to see my point of view. Only at work, though. Only, only. That's a lie because
1: I was your first. <laughs> <laughs> I was your first test subject. And little known Black History fact: Delisha actually sp- speaks a bit of Spanish, so she really followed that Claire Huxtable role to a T. Because if you watch the Cosby's in the early season. Yeah. Claire was going off, <laughs> a lot of accents in the kitchen. They kind of phased it out. So you really stuck it out as the model, as the T.
0: Yeah. As the team. You know, and I, I found out in junior high that I had a knack for romance languages. And that's a whole other story for a whole other day about how I ended up at this prep school and was a year behind on the, the whole language thing and had to catch up and ended up taking the foreign language prize the next year. But we'll get into that somewhere down the line um, as well. So, yeah, I I feel like I've known like as far back as I can remember. Now, another question is whether I want to do this until I retire. Yeah, I don't know about that. But for right now, um, it's working. It has been working for a while.
1: So I guess my follow-up question would be, you know, what did you envision your pathway being like um, for you breaking into the legal field? And part B of that question would be, what was the actual pathway like of you entering into law school, entering, you know, finding a job, passing the bar, excuse me, and then finding a job afterwards? Because we all envision when we have these lofty goals of what we want to do. We see someone on TV and what we think it's going to be like, right. what we envision, how we envision it going. And then what was the actual path that you had to take? What did you actually experience? Did you ever have that moment like, well, I think I'm in, I'm like, LA Cool J and uh, I'm in too deep, you know. Hello, <laughs> Cool J and Omar Epps. Like, I'm in way below my head.
0: Yeah, way above your head. Yeah, I think that's you know what, what you mean. really mad.
1: <laughs> that's that lawyer poking out.
0: Uh, yeah, clearly. Anyway, so yes, I've had several moments where I just thought, what was I thinking and, and why did I think this was a good idea? So anyway, I mean, I, I think in addition to wanting to be a lawyer because I enjoy the negotiating factor. I mean, one of the draws for a lot of people is the earning potential. So, I think I had that too. We didn't grow up with a lot. So, you know, being able to be financially secure and help other people and do all the, do all those great things. That was a part of it as well. Um, so, you know, I I wasn't one of those folks Uh, who went into the law or got ready to go to law school thinking I am going to go work at a legal clinic, you know, for forty thousand dollars a year to help the community. That that is not what I thought. If I'm just going to be completely honest, I always thought I'm going to maximize my career potential, you know, climb the ladder And make a bunch of money and then help those folks who work at the legal clinic and, you know, the activists out there on the front line. That's what I'm going to do, because you need both. You need the folks who are, you know, the soldiers doing the actual work, but you need the deep pockets, too. So um, I had taken some time off between. Uh, undergrad in law school, and I worked in corporate America because I knew, you know, even when I get get out of law school, I want to work end up at in a multinational corporate setting, right? So um, I took some time off, and then, you know, as fate would have it, in my role, so I worked in pharma in in house for uh, Johnson and Johnson, the Johnson Johnson company, great, great company. Um, and then I went out in the field, and while I was out in the field as a pharma rep, I met someone whose husband was a chairman of a major firm, and he met up with me. Gave me an opportunity to come in and work at his firm for a few months before I started law school. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, you should come work for me because once you start working at a big law firm and you get into it, it's a, it's a conveyor belt that's hard to get off. I didn't quite understand the gravity of that statement then, but I definitely understand it now. And the irony is I got into that whole environment and I knew then I don't even really know if this is for me. But somehow, I don't know if it was like the draw of the lifestyle outside of work, meaning the money and the things that you could acquire and the things that you can do. I think that overshadowed the fact that I wasn't even at that level where I wasn't a lawyer yet, I wasn't crazy about it. And what's so crazy now is I talk to young law students who are just starting out. And when they ask for my advice, I'm always like, make sure this is what you really want to do. And they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm about these dollars. Like, <laughs> you know, right. um, so I, I think, you know, to get back to your question, when I got into it, I said, all right, I'm going to go to law school. Everybody who was a corporate lawyer or at a big firm, a big litigator said, if you get into a, a top school, go, it doesn't matter what it costs. Um, um just go for it right so that's what i did i got into gw law which at the time was a top 20 i think they've slid out now but um i'm only claiming the ranking they had when i went there so you know i went borrowed all this money and yeah, I started on that path to like getting a big, you know, big law job and didn't quite work out that way. And it wasn't because it, w- it that it didn't come to me. Right. The opportunity came, but I realized I saw some things that made me realize at the time that that particularly particular environment is not what I wanted and it's not what I needed. Um, So after two summers at a firm and like which is what everybody longs for, like to get the summer associate, get the get the summer associateship, get the offer. Yeah, turn it down.
1: You got to <laughs> peek behind that curtain. Out <laughs> yeah. Not everything is cracked up to me.
0: Exactly. So I came to New York instead and that pathway to just working in big law, making all this money and um, you know, then going in house at, at some point as general counsel started to look really different. So I ended up at a smaller firm as a litigator, which I hated. I'd never desired to be a litigator, but it turned out I was really good at it. So
1: So, time out real mm -hmm. quick for for those who are not really familiar with the legal field, you know— don't know, really know anything about law outside of Judge Judy and Law and Order <laughs> SVU. Can you explain exactly what a litigator is and what's their day to day?
0: Right. So here's like the the way that I describe it in the most simplest of terms. Transactional attorneys make the contracts that litigators later fight about. <laughs> and there are tons of I don't want to just say that all transactional attorneys draft contracts because they do all types of things. But um, so transactional attorneys really manage transactions. They negotiate deals. You know, they they may be licensing attorneys. They may be this, they may be that. They draft agreements, et cetera, file intellectual property things. Litigators, they handle the disputes. So, you know, everybody sees Judge Judy when people go like self-represent on people's court or what have you for claims of $5,000 or less. But litigators at, you know, large firm scale are duking it out, right? So when there's a product liability claim, with. That ends up in the news. There's a team of litigators behind that defending big corporations. There are a lot of lawyers who make a lot of money defending, you know, all those class action lawsuits or what have you. I was actually on the plaintiff's side um, for a big class action, like half billion dollar lawsuits. But that's it. You know, it, it's so funny because people say, don't litigators go to court? And I always chuckle because like so few cases actually make it to trial. Right. <laughs> you may go to court for, um, you know, some preliminary hearings and motions and stuff like that. But most cases end up settling.
1: Nationality. You guys are in the smoky back room talking over to the- my. Table.
0: Exactly, deposing witnesses on the record which I've done a lot of 7-8 hours asking questions, just trading paper, reviewing documents, looking for that smoking gun that proves your case, all that other right. stuff. Right,
1: cuz ultimately nobody wants to spend the time or money in court. You want to handle it outside.
0: Exactly. So
1: I am I always break it back down to like a neighborhood level. If you got an issue with your neighbor, you settle it before the cops have to get involved. Yeah,
0: pretty much. You don't, you know, you don't want it to leave leave it to a jury or a judge. And it's just honestly to fight it all the way to try often is going to outweigh the cost of that will outweigh just settling, right, or far exceed, I should say. So, what was the second part? Was there another part of that question that I missed?
1: No, I believe you touched. Uh, oh, um, no, you touched both parts because I said, you know, what? What did you envision it being, and then actually, what was it? How did that compare to your actual experience?
0: Right. So, I mean, the the just to sum that all up, I ended up being a, a, a litigator and then struck out on my own. I think I talked about this in the Higher Learners uh, podcast with Rudy Racine. If I went into it in a little more detail, if you want to check that out, it's on our Instagram page there is an advertisement for that but yeah i was a litigator then i went out on my own and and did that for a while and then made another switch on the corporate side of things so i've had a really non-traditional career path for the education that i have like i was groomed to just go big law ride that out for a while either make partner or go somewhere else and i just totally detonated that for a number of (laughs) reasons right but it's worked out it's been fine
1: okay um, so what has uh, your experiences b- been like for someone? I mean, you kind of touched on this in the last episode. I mean, people are groomed their entire lives um, for these sorts of positions and these roles, mm-hmm. right, to work in not only Fortune 500 companies, but Fortune 50 companies, the highest of the high, you know the highest part of the ivory tower. These are kids who are r- groomed and raised a certain way, make certain relationships, go to certain schools that don't have principals, but headmasters, mm-hmm. you know, who summer in certain institutions. It's a whole different. Uh, you know, lifestyle. So, you know, what has your experience been like working in these environments, you know, as educated black woman, you know, in an environment that may be dominated by males who might be a little pigment deficient?
0: Oh, God. Every time I bring you on, I think, why did I bring you on? (laughs) 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 So uh, this is a heavy question Um, because, you know, I, I, I do work in a field where it is dominated by people who don't look like me. Um, and there are a lot of great lawyers of color out there for sure. We have whole associations that celebrate our, our strides in the field. So I don't want to make it look like, you know, I'm the only in a lot of these environments, but the reality of it is I am. I'm one of a few normally right. we're, we're scattered about. Um, and you know, some people draw it along gender lines, Others draw, you know, others draw it along racial lines The, the experience that you have. But I think. There are two things which tie into another question that we actually got um, when we made a call for this episode for people to submit what they wanted to know. It kind of ties into that. For me, there are two things that I've experienced. I've experienced the implicit bias, right, of just in thinking that I don't know what I'm talking about because either the color of my skin or my gender. So an immediate knee jerk is to speak over me, right? When I know I'm the one who's intimately familiar with the deal, I'm the one that knows the contract law. I'm the one that knows the contract (laughs) inside and out. You have somebody rolling in who knows nothing about it, trying to tell me what they know to be true and with confidence. I
1: always just think about the Hustleman episode of Martin when they were planning a wedding. He said, look, Chief, you came to me. Like, you brought me this issue.
0: And like, that's exactly how I feel. You came to me with this. So I have been um, in, in a situation where my intelligence has been questioned. My knowledge, my acumen has been questioned. People try still, like— I've been practicing now almost nine years and people still, you know, try to mansplain me or what have you. So I would say the default setting is to think that I don't know what I'm talking about, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. Because if you know me personally, I'm not opening my mouth unless I know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, I'm just going to ask the right questions to get the information that I need to know what I'm talking about. So my experience has been hostile. In some instances, in others, I've been objectified. It's been inappropriate. Oh, for sure. That has happened. And then there's just the day to day, like, you know, default setting to just assume that I don't know what's going on, which is so, so frustrating. Um, But it's not something that I can get angry at every time it happens, because then I just be angry all the time.
1: Right. So the follow up question would be, uh, and I feel like this is not asked, asked enough. How do you tactfully deal with these situations? Because everyone, you know. There's people have their preconceived notions about you and their stereotypes and how they feel like you should be able to write. But I mean, I mean, we, we, you know, we have an attitude, I feel like the both of us share I probably picked it up from you but we want all of the dollars we're not playing for the
0: no coin left behind right
1: no coins (laughs) left behind we're playing for the biggest chips I don't want the flakes and the shake at the bottom of the bag and a lot of times the long game involves a certain degree of uh, tact Mm -hmm. and thoughtfulness and planning things out addressing issues but addressing them in in a tactful way in order to you know not only come to a solution or conclusion, but be able to have relationships moving forward. right? Mm -hmm. Again, you can't, uh, I always like to say you can't, you know, problems require a toolbox stocked with tools. You need wrenches, Allen wrenches, screwdrivers, everything. You cannot carry around a toolbox around with a hammer expecting to fix everything with a hammer. It just doesn't work like that. So how have you been able to, you know, address some of these issues you've come across with people and communicate your point without, you know, soft shoeing or tap dancing, being able to keep some dignity, but also... You know, getting your point across to the point that you're not destroying relationships in the process.
0: Sure. Well, here's there's the f- first thing I will say about this. My work product always speaks for itself. Like I I am going to give 110 percent. I, I know that when I'm focused on something and I'm investing my all into it, be it a passion project or uh, the work that I get paid to do. I know it's going to be top notch. So for me, I I think sometimes people want to flex, but then, you know, those performance evals come around and, (laughs) you know, the output is not really there. Now I want to say this, there are retaliatory situations where you can do everything right and give it 110 and still not get the recognition you deserve, or somebody's going out of their way to diminish what you've done in response to the fact that you stood up. But my first, my first step um, is always to make sure that my work speaks for itself. So no matter what you feel about what I'm saying, the work, you know, the work on the page, right, is going to show somebody else that no, that she's got the goods, and there there are results here to show for it. So that's first and foremost. I don't think that there's like a one size fits all answer to this question. It, it's something that I have to navigate on a day-to-day basis, and there are situations where I probably let my anger get the best of me. There are other situations where I probably should have stood up and I didn't, right? It's it's a dance, and it's a dance you learn the farther that you get into your career. I'm going to tell you right now. You're my brother. You already know this. I'm not a pushover, okay? Right. So nobody's going to talk to me any old kind of way and, and disrespect me and, and what have you, and that's going to fly. But whether I address It now or address it later, and how I address it that's something that's decided in the moment. Now, I've been on situations where I've been on a call and somebody's raging, right, about what they thought I needed to get to them or what they think is wrong, and I'm trying to have a civilized conversation, and that person is literally taking it out of a business conversation and disrespecting me and yelling. And often it is a man that doesn't look like me. And in that instance, I don't take that lying down. I don't care what setting I'm in. And I will say, okay, first you need to stop talking. That's number one. And what needs to happen next is you have to let me finish. Do not raise your voice at me. This is not conducive to a productive conversation. And that is something I will not tolerate. That is usually the start. And it's it's usually at that tone because if you're not rah-rah about it, people really can't argue <laughs> with right. with you, right? Now there have been times where it's gotten loud. I've gotten into a yelling match on the phone or in person before with fellow lawyers or, or what have you. But for the most part, I try to check my tone because you can be stern about something without being loud. And people, I think, think those things are one and the same and they're not, they're not, you can know I'm not messing around without me yelling over you. Right. Or, or having to do that. So for me, it's like, I try to make sure that my I exude confidence in those situations situations. situations. And it's clear that I'm coming from a place of knowing that I deserve respect. And I'm not coming from a place of rage or um, just an outburst or reaction because you don't, in any situation, you don't want people to be able to just write you off as crazy um, because they do. And sometimes no matter what you do, right, they're going to find you intimidating. That's just the thing of being like (laughs) a person of color. I mean, the default setting is people feel intimidated by us a lot of the time. So for me, it's having that conversation and letting people know what I will not tolerate. And when I am given the voice or the space to voice my concerns in certain settings about issues as it relates to diversity and things. I feel like I'm at a point now in my career where I, I, I can speak up. I'm coming with solutions as well, but the reality of it is I've been speaking up about this since I was a summer summer associate as an attorney. It's part of the reason why I did not end up at the firm I, I was at because my comments were not taken to heart and the response I did not appreciate. So I made a six-figure decision <laughs> to walk away. Um, and that, that six figure decision was not in my financial favor. But so I feel like I've always already always had it in me. And that's just something I want to encourage people. You're not going to always get it right or you may get it right for your own personal integrity. But the fallout from it may be de- detrimental to you in the short term. So you have to decide what it is that you can tolerate in terms of a reaction, because everything you do does cause a reaction. If it's not the reaction that you would want, you have to decide whether you can live with the the result of that, and and how it might affect your life, because it absolutely affected mine. Um, It all works out in the end, obviously, but there, there were years that I was off on a different path because I made the choice to speak up about something. And when I realized my comments weren't being taken seriously, I knew that was not an environment I could be in.
1: Right. So I think with all that said, it circles back to the person in the beginning of not only knowing themselves, what they're about, what their principles are, And the things that they won't compromise, but also knowing their worth and what they want in the future, right? And knowing the value that they bring to the table and not being afraid to, you know, if they feel like something compromises, again, those values, those principles that they set Set for themselves not being afraid to voice an opinion and possibly take the L. Yeah. And it may put you off the track that you envision yourself, but you'll be a lot happier with yourself in the long run versus, you know, saying, staying there and dealing with all these problems. Yeah, you're getting paid. But if you're miserable, if your hair is falling out like you have alopecia or something, you're stressed out, it's not conducive. Right. Be ready to jump off a bridge. I've been in places where I'm making great money and it's just a terrible
0: environment. Right. And I mean, you you have to look to see if the pros outweigh the cons or right. if the negative days or the bad days outweigh the good ones. And I had to find that balance. Like, I'm not saying that every day I wake up like, yes, you know, I get to a lawyer and deal with people who think I'm stupid for another <laughs> another day. Um, no. And it's not everybody. I have a lot of people in my career who respect me right, in, in professional circles. But um, you have to decide, you know, if is there enough there to keep me? there that, you know, so I'm not miserable every single day. And I take a lot of deep breaths. You know, there there are situations that happen, um, even in social settings around among professionals where I'm just looking with the side eye, like, did that person really just say that to me? Or do they really just ask me that? It happens all the time because that people don't even realize it a lot of the time. It's that implicit bias that is resting just below the surface. Um, So, you know, you got to swallow sometimes. I'm not saying every battle you got to fight, but I'm, I would not encourage Anyone to just take it lying down and rolling over every time it happens. You gotta, you gotta stand up for yourself for sure.
1: So in hindsight, um, you know, 2020. Uh, what lessons that you know now in 2018 would you tell your? your- younger self starting off in your legal career
0: go to the school that is offering you the most money oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, run that back.
1: please run that if back if i could
0: do it all over again go to the school that is offering you the most money okay so listen it's no secret that like advanced degree all oh, school not even just advanced degrees school is expensive okay at the time I did not think about the financial implications of not only getting a law degree, but going to a school that, was one of the most expensive institutions in the country, one of the the had the one of the highest price tags for law school. All I knew was I got in, you know, it was a, a well-respected school. I was going because, again, I was on this, like, path where I felt like I needed those credentials. You know, I went Ivy undergrad. I wanted the Ivy undergrad top 20 law to get the job, to get the salary, to get whatever. But here's what you don't really think about at the time. And I think this goes for a lot of people. that When you have all that debt, it then dictates the decisions you can make later about your career because your cost of living is always going to have to be at a certain point to cover those student loans. And not only that, they're so massive for a lot of people that you're just like trying to chip away at the interest. So you're like working, 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 paying, paying, paying. And unless you're you're making incredible money and are going above and beyond, the balance isn't going down. In some cases, it might be going up. So um, listen, I, I don't I have a lot of regrets and I went, you know, I made some amazing friends and connections and being in D.C. was great. I was there during Obama's first inauguration, one of the most memorable experiences of my life and a lot of the experiences the connections that I had to be a part of that were due to the fact that I was at UW Law. So listen, it all comes out in the wash. However, you know, one thing that I always give, uh, one piece of advice that I always give to folks who are just starting out, decide what it is that you want to do. Really figure that out. Shadow people in the areas of the law or the area of, of business, whatever you, even if it's not law school, whatever you're doing, whatever it is that you think that you want really pick people's brains who work in that space and just try to get exposure to it because you might find that hmm this is not actually for me so before you spend all that money and have to pay it back and you know get those golden handcuffs to be able to pay it back make sure it's what you really want and there are there going to be some paths where if you want to be able to compete you do have to spend the pretty penny but depending on your career choices that may not be necessary so i would just encourage people it's what i I would have told myself back then, like, is this really what you want to do? (laughs) Do you really want to borrow all this money to go to this specific school when this one over here is offering you a boatload of cash
1: to come? That's a very real conversation, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur. Right. Right. So, you know, you're you are starting off behind the eight ball. If you're going to school, that's going to give you a large amount of debt because nine times out of ten, if you're starting off a business, you're going to go into debt anyway, taking a business loan.
0: Exactly.
1: And, you know, most of us at 18 and 21 don't understand what compound interest is.
0: No idea. And I mean, the reality of it is like. If people ask me where I went to school now, it's for like social reasons, like just out of curiosity. There's no clients like, where'd you go to law school? Right. That just that doesn't happen. Um, it mattered in the beginning what interviews you get. But again, if, if that if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you want to take a non-traditional path and you're not looking for one of those coveted spots, you know, as a, as a law student at one of the top firms or a coveted spot, um, you know, if you're a be you know, a B school student at one of the big four consulting firms or whatever, it like it, it doesn't matter as much. And then outside of that, you have people who take a completely non-traditional path like Tyrone was on the last episode and land, you know, elbow to elbow with people who went to the quote unquote right schools. So what what your path is, is your path. And just don't buy into the agenda. If you think it's not what you should be doing.
1: Right. Because a lot of time character speaks more than anything else in right. my experiences because I have sat down in rooms with people with these tier one top school degrees. And it's like, how in the world? You must have forged your transcript. Legacy. No way. Legacy kids. All right. There's no way that you went to this school.
0: Legacy kids, man. That does happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Anyway. So you want to shift gears? Are there other questions?
1: There are other questions here that have nothing to do with the law field.
0: I'm surprised that people had that many questions about the law because frankly, I feel like it's boring to other people, but I guess not. I, I guess people find it intriguing. All
1: right. So transitioning, uh, you know, you are an IFE tier one law school, you know, educated individual who makes, who does well for herself. You know, we're not going to put you on blast. Please don't. The feds is watching and listening. <laughs> so, you know, we don't want the, the, that smoke. Um, But, you know, Shifting gears, I mean, a lot of conversations today are centered around roles and gender roles, and conversations people, you know, are pushing for more equality, egalitarian thoughts, um, and relationships in their romantic lives. And do you feel in 2018? uh, Do you believe in a 50 50 household, or do you believe a man should provide and set the vibe or set the table in your household? (laughs) <laughs> she took that deep breath. You took, that's that first 48 hours, bro. Right so before that,
0: you're about to give the confession. Yeah,
1: you're like, hold on, let me get a cigarette and some coffee.
0: I do not smoke for the record, but if you watch first 48, <laughs> you know they always ask for that. One Newport before they yeah. give the confession.
1: I don't know his name, Jim.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, dri- all he, that's all I know. I he drive a white charger. That's all I know we we'll just be tearing that cigarette up after. Oh,
0: man. Anyway, back to it. I do love the first 48, though. It's one of the few things that I missed after giving up cable because it's hard to find it. But anyway, um, do I believe that 50-50 is the way of the household? And do I feel a man, should provi- a man should provide and set the vibe of the house? OK, let's unpack this a little bit, right? Because I think there are women who still have this vision of, like, getting married and someone's going to sweep them up and give them the life that they all always wanted. You know, the house, the car, the kids, the vacations and all of that. And what you do with your money is what you do with your money. It doesn't it's not necessarily required to run the house. Right. Um, I don't most of my friends actually are OK with working. I don't know a lot of people who are like, I just want to be a stay at home wife or a stay at home mom. But I think a lot of people do inherently don't want the, they don't want the pressure of having to contribute here's and there's no judgment there I honestly don't sway one way or the other on this where I have to have this for or that for my life however for me I'm just looking at the facts right and the facts tell me that I know I along with a lot of other women out earn men right the farther I get in the commit in, in my in the, my career the statistics back me up to especially if we're talking about black love the farther I get the more that gap You know, starts to happen. And not that there aren't men of color, you know, black men who are my equal in my profession, in my professional circles, because there are, you know, who can match or exceed my income. But the reality of it is a lot of them are married already. They're with their, you know, high school sweetheart or college sweetheart, or, you know, they might their wives might just be one of the ones that lucked up. <laughs> right. Um, to find, you know, that find that one that scooped them up at the right time, whether they're professional or not. Or in the alternative, these guys, you know, might be married to someone who's way younger than them. Right. So not as far in the career, not anywhere near the same profession or what have you. I will never forget one time I was sitting around with a bunch of law school friends. We were in the kind of common area, and one of the black guys said, You were in law school, brothers and sisters together. Said, you know, when I get out of here, I'm gonna marry a teacher. Cause she's not gonna have an opinion on anything. Now I know some teachers and they have strong, strong opinions, opinions. So I don't know what that was about. But in his mind, he equated the power and the, you know, the money and the respect that came with his career, you know, with being able to scoop up someone who was in a a field that didn't pay as much that he might be able to give a certain lifestyle to, but in exchange, she was not going to have an opinion. That's, yeah, no. I mean, I guess for some people that's how it works, but not with any teacher that I know. So, but back to my original point, I think, you know, because I am in in a position where I Am out earning a lot of people that I meet, the people that I've dated, the majority of them, I I know that, you know, I've made more money than depending on where I was in my life. So the whole feeling a man should provide, what am I going to do? Like just sit on all this money (laughs) and, you know, adjust my lifestyle down to what he can afford for the both of us? No, that's not going to work. So... Um, I don't think that that would work for me if, if I were in that situation right or 50-50 while I would like it to be 50-50 at least we're coming together and I just think for his own personal ego situation that's probably what it leads to be at minimum unless you're finding you know one of these guys who are looking for someone to take care of them which not in my category of How eligible Sugar baby. yeah no I'm good Um, so in the space that we're moving into with earning potential and earning power for a lot of women I know for me I had to accept that like I might be in a situation where somebody can't is not going to say to me, you don't have to work anymore. Or you can go, ch- you know, chase your dream because I got it. I can hold it down. Can that happen? Absolutely. It could still happen. But for me, I'm not married to that. If that's going to be the story, you know, that's going to be the story. But if it's not, then we have to figure out what works for us. I mean, and I think part of my reasoning for thinking this way is because, you know, we grew up with grandparents where, you know, our grandfather went blind, right? you know, in his late 20s. So they went from being a couple, working class couple that were working together to build his life. And then all of a sudden, a disability, you know, meant that my grandmother had to work really hard and pick up a lot of slack. You know, our grandfather did what he could, you know, despite not having his vision, but, you know, she had to step up. So anything could happen. I mean, that to me, that's not the only marker for what, makes a happy marriage right. and a happy relationship because you can marry the dream and the dream can turn into something else through no fault right. of your own. So I think that's important.
1: Shout out to Pop. R.I.P. Pop. I miss you so much. But I think you you hit a key point uh, mentioning that relationship because even Pop with his disability, Pop is the person that proved to me that manhood has nothing to do with your possessions or your profession. Like he, there was never any doubt that he was the man in the household and it wasn't from being like extremely domineering or anything. It's just the way he carried himself in even though he couldn't see, he kept the house together.
0: Exactly. Which like brings me to the next part of this question. Like you can be the man of the house and not necessarily be the sole breadwinner or the one who's covering 99% of the bills. Cause that just doesn't work for your situation. Right. Um, so there are other ways to exude confidence and be a protector and show your lady that she's, she's a lady in this situation making her feel like she can, she can be that if that's what she wants. Not all women want that. I know some alpha women who enjoy, you know, sort of wearing the pants or what have you. So. So I think there are other ways to exude. And that doesn't mean, you know, you stomping around being King Kong, like extra chauvinistic and trying to like stroke your ego because she's making money. I'm not talking about that, but, you know, do the things that make her feel special and cared about. Um, I always admire my friends, husbands who do things like make sure their wives' cars are filled with gas, you know, on full on Sunday night. I think those are things, those are lost arts of prior generations um, that, I shouldn't say it's lost because some guys do it. I witnessed it. But I wish it was more customary. You know, the things that, that say, you know what? I wanted to feel like I'm taking care of her, and the and the way that works for me. That's really brothers. Let me just tell you. Let me just talk directly to talk you. Talk to him. It's not always all about money. Okay, that is one piece, and I, I believe that every man should be able to take care of himself. That I do Ooh, believe. Talk to him. Like so, I, you may not make make as much as as her, but you need to be able to take care of yourself. Unless the only caveat there are the stay at home dads, where it's been decided that that's where you're going to be, and you know this woman has made a choice for her that that. that, okay, you know, this is what works for our household. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guys that find someone... And they know that she can take care of them and they make a choice just for that only. And and some men are going to listen to this like but women do that all the time. I have an issue with that, too. So, you know, I went to school with girls who were just looking for the MRS degree. right? You know, so I think that's more socially acceptable. But I'm not saying that that's the path I want. But, dudes, I'm just saying, make sure you can take care of yourself no matter. Even if you can't run the household 100 percent on your salary, make sure you can take care of yourself and do the other things that make her feel like a lady. It's not for the good women out here. It's not just about the dollar. Amount. There are so many many other other ways. There are many other things. And I'm there, you know, women out here who are just after the dollar, just like there are men out here who are just after other things. But, you know, (laughs) you know, seek out those opportunities to, to, Exude manhood and chivalry. We, we, we love it. We're looking for it. I'm going to have go on
1: Amazon to get a soundboard for you and you go on these rants so I can drop the little bombs. Was it a rant, this. though? It's not a rant. I mean, it's the <laughs> truth. But I'm like, it's truth bombs. Like, boo.
0: Yeah. I, I really, you know, when the book comes out, we'll we'll do more relationship-focused we'll episodes. But I, I think people just have this idea. You know, women, we, we're not a monolith, but we get boxed in. Like, if you're like me, really driven, and you know, moderately successful in your career and kind of holding it down people are like oh you know i've had guys tell me you you're going to make it to the top you're not going to have a man though i'm like what do you mean cuz he's not going to be able to deal with your level of success okay <laughs> not all, but there's got to be some out there who can.
1: I think it's just the the fact that people, you know, circling back to uh, earlier part of the conversation is just leaving their preconceived notions at the door and actually taking the time to get to know someone. You can't shake all your experiences off, but like a lot of people just feel like within 10 minutes of a conversation they know who someone is. Oh, I know what this is. Exactly. No, there's layers to this.
0: There are are layers and I think women, we have to remind ourselves of that too, that there are layers, right? If a guy, if a guy came you know, stepped to me and was like, oh, I'm I'm a teacher. Am I supposed to just dismiss him? Because I know that I out earn him on by any stretch of the imagination. I know off the back that that I out earn him. Like if I were to do that, like I'd never be able to get to know anybody. Now, I, I was making a conscious decision that, oh, you know, our salaries together may not match some of my peers who are married to doctors or other lawyers, but, like, I don't think it's fair to just say...
1: You can't just write somebody off because of a profession, because you don't know what the plan is, especially in this day and age.
0: Exactly. You have no it idea. It
1: just be the, the entry point for something. I, I'm a teacher, but I'm working on this coding on the side, because I have an idea for educational platform. Or I'm a teacher because I'm in Teach for America, and I'm planning on going to law school to do X, Y, and Z. But.
0: Right. Or even if it's just, I'm a teacher and this is what I'm passionate about, and I'm right. impacting kids' lives every day, and this is all that I, I want to do, that may be what I need. I may right. need somebody who balances me in that way and is off in the summers and, you know, I'm running around here trying to record podcast episodes and talk and, you know, give talks and stuff. Maybe I need that kind of person. I, I don't have the answer. I just think, you know, we we can't come with, with these sort of outdated modes of thinking that don't necessarily apply to the day and age that we live in.
1: Well, counselor, we're not looking for the answers. We <laughs> just need perspective.
0: That's that's my personal just perspective. Need perspective
1: y'all y'all take it take do what you will with the perspective we're just putting it out there to the
0: public. just putting yeah. it out there and I mean the people that know me very well this is not I don't always get it right I have knee-jerk judgments too I'm human there's sometimes I'm like oh I don't think this is gonna work for me um so yeah it, it's a it's I'm a work in progress we all are I just think there's no one right answer to the whole should it be 50 50 uh should a man provide everything but I wholeheartedly believe that tax bracket aside a man a man can't can set the vibe of the house and still you know make his, his woman feel like a woman when it, I, when it comes down to it.
1: I think people just have to you know s- stop subscribing to these ideas that a lot of times weren't real for their families. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of time, you're talking about, especially I'm I'm not even gonna say people of color, but Black Americans, like or well, a lot of people who weren't, you know, in upwardly mobile families. Everybody worked in the house. Right, mom worked just as hard as dad, and came home and made the dinner too. true story when our parents were together both our parents worked and sometimes dad will let mom tell her dad was doing most of the cooking true so it's it's like figure out what works for you and kind of block out not to turn away from society but look at your family look at your family and figure out what works for you in 2018 versus like these outdated ideas from 150 years ago like these people that were taking ideas from didn't even have telephones when they came these (laughs) ideas like they didn't know what like Germs were I didn't wash their hands Like We're taking out Extremely outdated advice From people who lived You know 200 years ago
0: Yeah And I mean it. it one of the epiphanies I had before we get off this is I don't even remember which friend I was talking to but like I was kind of dating and I was just like oh I just don't you know this is not a conventional situation and the the friend whichever one of my girlfriends said but if you really think about who you are you don't need conventional is not going to work for right. you like look at everything you're trying to build do you think just the picket fence and like the nine to fivers with these two kids and like you know you guys go on one family vacation a year and do you really think that that's going to be how it is for you Like with really what you envision for your life based on your passions and talents. And I was like, you know what? You got a a point there. So that's when I really just kind of had to step back and say, you know what? I'm open to what it is that I need, even if it's not even what i realized yet that i need right. you know lauren hill said the best l boogie said it what you want might make you cry and what you need might pass you by oh, if you don't catch talk it. talk to him you know so I, i'm working on uh in this post 35 life i'm well, working you know, on being open
1: delicia out here on her israel new breed it's a new season <laughs> it is it's a new a day, new day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hey man, you gotta evolve. You have to evolve as a person, and that's that's where I am. I'm 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 open to what my life is gonna look like, and it might be a little non traditional, but that's okay.
1: We're in a non traditional age. Nothing is normal. Nothing is what it was, and because we're in this fourth industrial revolution, so many things are changing. It seems like a year counts as three years these days. that, you know. We're kind of creating as we go along what right. works for us, And not to throw, you know, the, prover- the proverbial baby out with the bathwater we hold on to what's relevant and to our lives with. What- brings like happiness and joy or structure to our lives and we just cut loose the things that we don't need trim the exactly
0: fat. you got to trim the fat okay what's next on the, the list of questions
1: <laughs> uh so what's next if uh time machines existed what old sc- school song would you travel back to be featured on
0: this question is wild, well, that's uh, this wild. Is like left left field. so
1: to, to preface the, the the question a lot of you don't know delicia got has a singing voice I've heard it my entire life <laughs> I haven't heard it you know her getting up in front of a crowd to sing it in years but you know you no, know, she can carry a little tune
0: a little bit a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think I said in the first episode that I was a music head so I, I mean I kind of framed it in the sense that I really love listening to music but there was a time when I was heavy into the whole
1: heavy Heavy.
0: And I grew up in this thing man standing on chairs singing uh yes Jesus loved, loves me at the age of two so um but in early adulthood I was like all about winning that Grammy as a songwriter and stuff like that. So life is taking me in another direction. Maybe we'll get back to it here or there. But the the person that submitted this question clearly knows uh, about my past as a theater kid and a songwriter and all those things. So this one's hard, man, because all the songs that like I really, really, really love, I think they're so perfect the way that they are um, that I mess them up with any kind of feature. Right. But if I really had to think about it, this one song may not have been the most commercially successful. But like when I think of who I am and and what I believe in and and an artist that I really, really respect is in my top five. It would have to be Donny Hathaway, Young, Gifted and Black. <laughs> First of all, that song is just incredible. Right. And, and just what it represents. Donny's voice is unmatched. I often say if Donny lived that we'd be having the Stevie versus Donny debate. I honestly believe that.
1: Yeah, that'd be all day
0: all day because Donnie be was the truth. Function. Yeah, but I mean just the, the spirit of the song and the soul of the song and one of my favorite sections says that when you feel really low, yet there's a great truth you should know, when you're young, gifted and black, your soul's intact. And just the reason I love this song is that you know, there's the the quote that we've all heard, you got to work twice as hard to get half as much and the things that we deal with, a lot of us to try to overcome and achieve. Sometimes in the midst of all of that, you can forget that you are gifted and you are magic, right? And, and the fact that you can achieve in spite of all the things that can be standing in your way, um, that song means a lot to me. And Donnie was just incredible. So I think that would be my answer.
1: Yeah, that's one of the few songs that the live version is better than the yep. video version. Absolutely. If you've never heard that song, hop on Spotify, go on YouTube if you that old school, <laughs> Apple Music something, and just listen to the live recordings. It's an amazing song. So you'd hop on, Donnie, you'd be in the back. Doing the backup
0: vocals, yeah, man. I don't even need like a feature out out front. I can do the backup. That's fine. I, I don't know a- anything for sure. That's my choice for sure. I'll have another one tomorrow because my musical tastes and preferences change by the day, depending on my mood. But it's to be young, gifted, and black for sure. For right now,
1: and there's a whole world waiting for you, as Donnie said in that song. Yes. And speaking of the world waiting for you, um, the next question. Uh, is in regards to life. Right. Mm-hmm. And the live life attitude and you know, that the idea of life passing you by. So, you know, how do you build wealth and manage to live your life? And not let, the, you know, life pass you by and all the enjoyment and excitement and things that are going on in the tri-state area, you know. <laughs> How do you manage all of those things, like manage to build your money and be able to save but enjoy your life at the same time? Because it's like either you have the—you know, most people talk about the Dave Ramsey approach where, like, you're only eating rice and beans. Mm-hmm. you clipping every coupon. You're not going out. You're living in a closet. Or, you know, you, you have the other side of the spectrum. is like, you know, you can't take it with you, so you might as well enjoy— life and live for the day right you find a medium or equilibrium between the two
0: yeah I mean I think at one point I was on like the Dave Ramsey but it was because I had to be like I had to turn everything around and, and get on the right track and um say you know what okay this is the level of discipline that I'm I'm going to have to have and that's just it right so I think if you are so far in the red or off track, you might have to have a little bit of delayed gratification on the whole living life part. And that doesn't mean that you don't treat yourself in some way, but the way you treat yourselves might be a little bit smaller. So you, can't, you might not be at brunch every weekend, but you, um, you know, savor that nice one dinner out that you have with friends and family or the manicure that you get to give yourself. So if you're like deep in trouble, especially for those of us who are over 30, it's just you you have to make the sacrifice to get things on the right track, for sure. So that's the first thing I would say. Like, I think I went through a period where I did sort of, it did feel like life was passing me by because I did couldn't do all the things that I, I really enjoy. Um, but it was just a necessary Evil at that point for sure. But once, if you're not in that stage and you're like, you know, things are pretty stable. I've I've got some money. I'm I'm making money, and I, I just want to get to the point where I'm building wealth. At this point, like here's what I firmly believe: you can get budget fatigue, and what I mean by that is if you are living so strict, if you're on the da- Dave Ramsey approach for years and years, or you know, an extended period of time, you will you will break and you'll relapse in a way. That where everything just derails. It won't be like, oh, I'm just gonna go off the plan here. It's like you're so deprived that the minute the floodgates open and like you spend or you do something that you shouldn't have, it's like it all just goes to pot. It's no different than like food, or you know, when you deprive yourself from everything, you finally taste that one chicken wing, you just right. like go
1: crazy. You saw flight. You remember flight with Denzel? Yes. And he saw that one <laughs> it was like that the other room was open in his hotel yes. suite, and he saw that one airplane by. Of liquor, And they came in the next day, the whole room the was, was trash, right? It was empty bottles everywhere.
0: Yeah, so you have to find—you <laughs> don't want to be that person who <laughs> drinks on the bottles in the mini bar. You've got to find um, those points for, for gratification. So I am a big fan of, like, the reward system. And the reward needs to be something that you know that you particularly enjoy. So you can build wealth and, and do things for yourself uh, to encourage you to keep going that you feel good about. Um, at the same time. Yeah, you might not be accumulating wealth at the same phase or, you know, at the same speed as you could if you saved every single do- dollar or invested it, but I think you have to have balance. So, you know, if you're if you're just starting out and you can only eke out 50 bucks or what have you, or 100 bucks or 25, whatever, you got to find something, a reward system that fits within that budget. You know, don't, don't put yourself in a deficit for it, but just build it in. And then also, a lot of us have gifts and, and things that can make other sources of income for you. So another thing that I've always been good at is like, if there's a side gig, there's, you know, one thing that I would allocate to like a separate account that was just for like my rainy day fund. So when the items got bigger, the reward system got bigger, then it'd be like, oh, a vacation fund or, you know, what have you. So um, I think if you build in the reward system and just find the appropriate balance for you, and there are all kinds of apps and calculators out there that can help you figure out how long it's going to take you to achieve your goals. I think I've I've mentioned every dollar on here before. They have all kinds of levers. So you can figure it out. You don't have to take a shot in the dark to just say and and say, I'm just going to live my life and let the chips fall where they, they, they may or the other extreme, I'm just going to save, save, save. You know, life is going to have to pass me by. There is a healthy balance, but it's doing the math. A lot of us don't want to do the math. So you figure out how much to achieve your goals in tandem are you willing to sort of allocate to the things that, you enjoy or you make you feel like you're living life. And I'll just add a caveat to this. This is probably easier for someone like me because I'm an introvert by nature. So no matter how much money I'm making, I don't have the desire to be out and about, you know, all on the scene or buying designer handbags here and there or whatever. My thing is vacations. I enjoy experiences. But again, I'm, I'm at a place where I can budget for that. So I am not of the school of thought where you've got to live on the bare minimum and save every dime. Just do the math and allocate at the beginning beginning to, so you can feel like I am living life. It's not passing me by, but I'm also achieving my financial goals at a steady pace as well. And then according to your own personal appetite, decide how big that that version of living life can be, you know, in conjunction with the goals. What do you think about that? Amen. <laughs> Amen and Selah.
1: <laughs> Selah. I will name it and claim it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> my Lord. Oh, man.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> going off the rails
1: now. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: Anyway, was that the last question?
1: That was the last question.
0: Listen, that was like a lot of law questions that I didn't expect. And then that whole song feature thing, definitely didn't see that one coming. Right
1: out of left field.
0: Um, but I hope this gives people a little glimpse into like how my mind works and also how much DeMarcus... <laughs> derails the conversation when we talk with his jokes which I really do love hey man
1: we gotta spice it up man
0: you you keep it spicy yeah, That that's for sure you I'm keep it spicy I'm trying to find my
1: balance somewhere between Nick Cannon and Donnie Simpson <laughs> 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 green eyes with the turban you feel me <laughs>
0: Okay. We got to wrap this up. Listen, um, I'm glad we did this, man. I was like, I don't know what to do. I didn't want to have some idle chatter interview with just anybody after the powerful episode that is still making the rounds from last week. Go check that out. But at the same time, I know, you know, we've got to find levity in all things. Um, That's how you keep going. We've, as a people, we've always been great about finding humor in crises as well. And, and the things that keep us up at night, we know how to laugh about it as well. It's a necessary thing because we are in the struggle still. In a struggle. For sure. So listen, if you have not checked out episode 30, I suggest when you press stop on this one, check it out. Check it and out. And all the others. We've had some awesome guests. I don't want to make it seem like it's all about Tyrone and that's it. But, you know, that, that interview really pulled the curtain back on a few things.
1: We've had great guests in the past. I just don't think anyone has been as honest and transparent as Tyrone has
0: been. Absolutely. And I think it's such a necessary thing to speak about especially black pain right and, and trauma and, and what it means to to carry that and try to find healing and wholeness, you know, as well. And that's an important, important thing for us. And one of the goals for this, this podcast to make sure we create safe spaces to talk about those tough subjects in addition to the jokes and talking about career and all that other stuff. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Any final any parting words here? Thank you for
1: listening. Uh, and I hope you continue to listen. We can continue to grow this podcast together. And Diddy, if you're listening, we need you on the podcast. Bad boy, baby, can't stop, won't stop. I'm claiming it.
0: You are really speaking this thing I'm into claiming existence. It. It's, it's
1: going to happen. Call listen. me crazy. It's going to happen. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. What the ministers used to say <laughs> it may be five years from now, but I am claiming it. We're sowing
0: right now. Sowing tears, tears to reap in joy. It's going to happen. I'm touching the green. Uh, we we're one, and, one and two. One or two. We're gathered. <laughs> it's going to happen, Diddy. So, You're going to be on. Demarcus has claimed it and I'm going to come alongside him and, and agree with that. And the line, in his faith, we're going to walk together. All in, right. and in any event, those who are listening, listen, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us if you send an email at info at December26er.com. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, we actually welcome inquiries. You don't have to just wait for us to reach out to you. Send us a message. Let us know your story, um, what you want to get out to the world and if it fits with our themes and our vision, we'll try to get you on. Make sure you follow us, share this podcast. If you are into it, don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care.